Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your Zozo Championship Recap episode. Joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. What's going on, Greg? What's going on? Good to be back. Happy to be here. Another great week on the PGA Tour. Uh, Greg has some spicy takes that we're going to get to in just a, a few moments here, but let me bring in Mark Immelman. Mark, good to see you. I'm a little spicy right now, so let's just play, uh, play it cool, okay? Um <laughs> Remember it's NFL Sunday, and I'm a Falcons fan, so let's just put this to bed right now. I've I've uh, I've gotten you a couple times already this year. I think we're probably good for a while. Now I'm starting to feel a little sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling sorry for me too. In fact, I don't even well, look. No, I'm faithful. I'm like I'm like the Labrador Retriever. I'm going to stick to them. I'm going to keep coming back, wagging my tail with a smile on my face, hoping for the best, and just uh, expecting the worst right now. Mark, if I were you, I'd take the rest of the year off, right? Just just take a break from them. And when they get Trevor Lawrence, then you can start rooting for him again. <laughs> no, Matt Ryan's looking good. I mean, that's goodness. No, he, he really is. I He, he gets so – well, uh, this is a golf podcast. We'll keep it there. But yeah. Matt Ryan's impressive. I mean, Kyle and I were off the rails at zero 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 of last night's episode, so it's all good. Um, let's talk a little bit of golf. Patrick Cantlay, 23 under par, thanks to a final round 65, is your Zozo, what do you call him, a Zozo championship champion? Uh, And Greg, we were kind of talking about this before we went hot. It's almost shocking that this is only his third win. Uh, We were, you know, even last night on, on the podcast afterwards, we were saying, it's weird that he only has two wins. Are we sure he doesn't have any more than that? He he doesn't. It's it's weird. He's constantly in the top 12, 15 of the world. He seems to always be near the top of the leaderboard, but this is just his third victory on the PGA Tour. Well, he joins Elite Company. Um, it, he is um, joined by only one other player to be a Zozo Championship <laughs> champion, and it's Tiger Woods. So you know he's doing something right. Uh, anytime your name's on a list with just Tiger, you're doing pretty well. But anyway, yeah, it, it is a little bit surprising. But if you think about it, he was the number one amateur in the world. Uh, and and he was a can't miss kid coming out of UCLA and a, a superstar and rightly so um, the best amateur player in the game. And he gets to the PGA Tour and there's a couple of injuries and the beginning of his career, the early stages of his career are just they kind of sputter along. He can't play a full season. He can't play a full schedule. And we never really got to see that uh, that talent in full swing. Um, and he had the incident with his his best friend, if you remember that story, um, which is just a tragedy. And that's a that's the different kind of injury, an emotional injury that you got to deal with. So it, the beginning of this career was was um, it, it was not very smooth, and and it wasn't necessarily his fault. So now that you're seeing a Patrick Cantlay who is in good form, you're seeing regular appearance, you're seeing consistent performance. Um, well, this is what you get because this is the kind of talent that he has. And I guess question I have for you guys, where do you stack him up with 
a JT and a John Rahm, who we we think so highly of and rightly so. What are your thoughts on a Patrick Cantlay? Is he in a class with a John Rahm and JT, or is he kind of a, a step below? Uh, Rick, you want to go ahead? <laughs> I was deferring to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, the thing. You make a great call, Greg, with the fact that the first – I would call it more, almost half of his professional career. He turned pro in 2013, I believe it was. And the first half of it was marred by just disaster. There was a horrid back injury, the the the, the death of his friend. And, and and I feel like he's sort of hit his sweet spot now. And he's he's found his way. I mean, he rocketed up the uh, the world rankings to, to, to one of the top 25 very fast. And so from my point of view, it, 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 it's, it's very much like – you know, certain guys like a Justin Rose who doesn't claim a lot of the spotlights, but they've just, they, their game just speaks for themselves. I mean, Patrick Cantley is a softly spoken guy. My interactions with him have been, uh, I mean, he doesn't say very much at all, but he lets his clubs do the talking. And, and so when his clubs talk, yes, I believe that he's a part of that conversation. He just doesn't grab the attention of everybody. He's one of those sorts of people that goes, Oh, there's Cantley. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm not surprised. But no one speaks about him before the event, really. And so there's a lot of that going on. But i got to tell you, in terms of ball striking, he's well up there. In terms of just coming through during the moment, because he's proven that he can close things out now. He's done that a few times, three times now, on, on good golf courses. So, yeah, I, I believe he, be, he he's earned his spot in that conversation. I think I'll, I'll I'll agree with that in a big way, Greg. And I think he falls I think he falls victim to two things that are probably a lot of our fault. Which is, uh, we we look at wins so often. We count wins. How many victories does Justin Thomas have compared to how many victories Patrick Cantlay has? And I think we know in the back of our minds we shouldn't just be grading these guys on how often they raise the trophy on Sunday afternoon. So I think he falls victim a little bit to that, Greg. But I also think he falls victim to exactly what Mark was talking about, like. If you ask anybody, like, what does Patrick Cantlay's voice sound like? I don't know. Like, I've I've rarely heard him speak, and and he's just he flies so far under the radar that it's it's really hard to put him in the echelon of the guys that that you asked about. You know, here's the other thing, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Mark said almost over half of his career has just been stunted, and and you look, he's 28 years old, yet he's only played two seasons on tour with 20 or more events. It's yeah. been a complete, I mean, in 2012, first year as a professional, seven events, seven and 13, five and 14 and 15, just one. Then in 17, he plays 13 events and the, the, the performance, he has four top tens in that he has a second place, a third place finish, 18, 23 events, 19, 21 events. And now this past year, it's another shortened season because of uh, the COVID situation. He plays 12 events. And now he's got three so far this year. So, I mean, for a guy that's 28 years old and we're looking at it saying he only has three wins, but he really only has like three seasons on tour where he's, where he's really been um, a full-time player. So I, I think that's a really big part of it too. Yeah. I was just going to add to that. I was going to, you took the words out of my mouth that he's only 28 and, and, and the JTs and the ROMs. I mean, this is the, that, that's sort of the age group, the 20 somethings that are going on where it's, so hard to believe that Rory is out of that group now in the 30-something. So, yeah, I would firmly lodge him in that conversation. And the more he plays, the more he gets himself into contention, the more you're going to find him winning tournaments because he does close. He's got that ability to, to do what he needs to under pressure. All right, let me bring Kyle Porter into the mix here. KP, what's good? You good with your uh, writing duties for the night? 
I'm good. I was I was just agonizing over Russell Henley's birdie putt on 18. I had him in our one and done. Great pick, by the way. That was a good it, pick. It, it was, was. It was. It was brutal. He had set to eight feet. He gains. He, he leads the field in strokes gained tee to green, and he was like been on putting out there. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he lost last time I checked. He lost. He was losing like four strokes putting, and I hadn't. I hadn't looked back. <laughs> at um, KP, let's breathe. Hold on. Do you understand how many bar bets you could win if you go in there and say who's leading the field strokes getting tee to green? Thomas, John Rahm or Russell Henley? You'd win that bet every single time. Russell Henley's a stud. Uh, quick side note. So I was in Hawaii. My sister used to live in Hawaii, Mark, and uh, they replay everything super late there. So we were at a bar watching a golf tournament that had already happened much earlier in the day. And I was betting a guy next to me who was going to win, but I already knew the outcome of all of those shots <laughs> and everything. So you got to know your time zones a little That's bit. That's awesome. That's uh, awesome. K- KP. So the, I think the big moment for a lot of different for Patrick Cantley for Justin Thomas was the uh, iconic, I guess it's the iconic hole on the course, the, the par three 15th, where we'll talk about how it kind of got to Justin Thomas a little bit, but Patrick Cantley uh, gets there in the midst of uh, an absolute phenomenal run. This is probably one of the, the, the last shots that can really kind of derail the momentum that he has going on. He steps up, almost holds it, knocks it to 10 feet, rolls the birdie putt in. And that's when I thought we were going to get Vince Carter dot gif. <laughs> well, it was, you know, I was thinking about as I was writing about his win after the after everything took place, I, I, I like he went out and won it, right? But I, and and you and I talked about this on on Saturday night. Like the only scenarios were Rom wins, JT wins, or I think we said either Cantlay or uh, was it Scheffler? Yes, from deep, and it turned out to be Cantlay from deep. But it didn't like. I think he only gained what four, five strokes on the field in the final round. It didn't feel like this extraordinary round that Rom and JT shouldn't have been able to overcome. I mean, he hits the shot into 16 and you're like, what is, what is he doing? He makes a six on 16 and it, it just, it, I mean, he, he went out and did it. He hit, I think three birdie putts of 15 feet or more, but it didn't to me, um, it, it felt like Rom and JT kind of threw it away a little bit down the stretch. Kyle, extraordinary final round, well, not so much. You say the guy made nine birdies in the group, just a couple in front of the leaders. I think that's pretty extraordinary. I'm, I'm keen. To, I'm keen to hear your take there. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a good final round, but it wasn't like it wasn't like he went out and gained seven or eight strokes on the field. It was a it was a I would call it a a really good final round, not an extraordinary one. And I thought it would take an extraordinary one to be Rom and and, and JT. Okay. No, the in, the um the the thing about that, Kyle, I think it feels like that. It feels like Rom and JT let it get away because of the back nine performance. And I think it's true. I mean, they both shot even par on on a, a second nine with three par fives. You got nine yep. holes with three par fives, and the world number two and world number three shoot even par. And that there's no way you can expect that. I mean, I, I'm sitting there after the tenth hole thinking that it, it's probably going to take 26 under to win. I mean, 25 is probably a playoff. And here we are, 24, and 24 under wins outright. And that's surprising. And and it's not, you know, um, over the top to think that these guys are going to shoot a couple under par with that number of par fives and the caliber of player that they are. So I, I think that takes away from the round that Cantlay shot, which was great. 
but it didn't feel like like he um it, it felt like Rom and JT could have definitely beaten that round from Cantlay. Yeah. See, this is where I feel like people like us make this mistake often where we just assume these guys are superheroes and just because they're playing well they're going to go bananas and just shoot the grass off a place. I mean, there's a lot of pressure when you're under uh, when you're in contention, especially when you're in, in the final group. I don't care if you're the number 1 player in the world or the number 1000 player in the world. It gets real. And so all of a sudden the margins are a bit finer and all of a sudden the hole is that little bit smaller and all of a sudden you get that one funky lie and then you miss a medium iron well right and, and, and you, you make an unreal save for a pass. So it's, we, we've got to be careful in the interest of understanding this great game that we play that you can't just give out birdies. They don't, they, stuff is earned. And, and, and yeah, did they do what we kind of was shocked at over the final line? Absolutely. But, that's what golf is. That's what playing under pressure is. And and what Cantlay did, to his credit, he went and got them over the final nine. He certainly did. Let's talk about the back nine. We can kind of lump in John Rahm and Justin Thomas here together because I think Greg raises a really good point. I mean, both of these guys uh, might feel like they let this one get away, especially Justin Thomas, Kyle, who had – I mean, he played an 11-hole stretch uh, at one over. He didn't take advantage of the par fives he got really loose on what would that have been 16 where he's in the middle of the fairway in a par five and he hits it into the penalty area right and he he felt like he knew things were slipping away a bit well he he played the last uh 12 holes in even yeah and i mean that i think that's the point is like if you take the last 12 holes and you say okay jt has to play it in one under with however many par fives that is probably four to get into a playoff I mean, you're going to like, that's definitely going to happen. And then it didn't. And honestly, he was lucky to be, to play it in even, I mean, it could have been two over. It could have been three over the shot. He hit on 16 was an abomination. Like well, that was, it was off the planet. Like, what do you, what does he do? And, and you heard him on the broadcast. He said, I'm so scared to hit it left. And it, it's just, and then the shot he hit on 15 where he leaves it short. And it was just, it was kind of a mess. And I think, I think part of the thing here is we're so used to guys like Rom and JT kind of closing things out in, in, in a dominating way. And they just didn't do that at all. And uh, yeah, I mean, to Mark's point, like you, you can't, you can't bank it until it happens. And I think that's what, uh, that's what makes some of this stuff so interesting. We saw Patrick Cantlay go through 15, throw a dart in there, make the putt. And then, Greg, we saw Justin Thomas get to 15, and it was just as much mental as it was for phys- as, as it was physical for him in that moment. He was trying to figure out the wind. He backed off his ball, uh, backed off the ball twice, trying to figure it all out. And then he leaves it short, kind of embeds it into the, the front of the penalty area there. I, I mean, that was... I think very clearly the turning point and he could have kind of saved it on 16, but 15 was, I think the moment. It's really fun to look at a golf tournament in this sense. You look at where Patrick Cantlay's ball lands, how far away that is from Justin Thomas's ball. And it's a, I mean, it's not, there's not a lot of, it's like a yard and a half. Those two balls, (laughs) right? Yeah. A couple of paces. (laughs) And to think that this is where, what, what Mark talks about is, uh, is really interesting and really accurate because you you look at those two shots and you think that Cantlay is a hero and JT did something horribly wrong, right? It's a it's a it's a bad club selection because he is off by a yard and a half. He's off by a whole club, and that's the fine lines, the fine margins that we we find in the game. So 
but you just wonder if you're JT and you're looking back on this, knowing now that you finished one back, did you make a mistake on, on 15? Was that the time to be super aggressive? Knowing you got 16, 17, 18, all birdie holes. Um, did you, did you force one when you didn't have the right club? I, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't feeling very confident with his game. I mean, I, I look at it, what he did on the second nine, and it's a little bit errant, not just on 16, but there's a number of tee shots where he misses to the right, and he hit some good ones. The one on 18 was awesome. But he's a little, he, he sprays it sometimes with the, with the driver especially. The shot on 12, he pulls a six iron left and has to make a 15-footer for par. There was definitely some, um, some flaws in the game this week and I wonder if he felt that and felt like he really had to make something happen on 15. Well I, I think it's it's got to be frustrating for him because he goes out he hadn't been putting well right that's what we talked about all year with JT if he if he puts well win if he puts well he'll win and this week he putted it great and he he just he played below average from Tita Green for, for him I mean for he normally sits at like two two strokes around gain from T degree. I think this week he was one and a half. And he's you know, and, and we saw this at the US Open with him. The driver uh, gets really wild sometimes. And he, he just he couldn't he couldn't find the fairway when he needed, it, especially on the weekend, especially on Sunday, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's gotta if you're if you're JT and you have the kind of putting week that he did, you gotta be frustrated that he didn't that you didn't win the golf tournament. Kyle, do you look at JT's game and think because we've talked about this a lot. I think we talked about it last week or the week before. Do you think he has, do you still think he has no holes in his game? Do you think there are some holes in that game? Well, I, I thought that, you know, I, th- I thought you brought up a good point that it's, that it's not as uh, level as, as I've kind of purported it to be. Like Xander's more of like, or even Rom is more like of a level guy where everything's kind of the same. And JT's, you know, I, I think more with the, I, and you saw this on 18, he tries to hold that shot on 18 and he almost holds it. You're like, oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> so I think his, his iron game, and, I'm, and I love that you pointed this out because I, I think it's a, I think it's correct in that his iron game is better than maybe some of the other parts of his game. And, you know, I, I don't, he's a good driver. I don't know that he's a really great driver. I don't know that he's like a top 20 type driver. Uh, and then the putter, I, I, I chalk up 2020 to kind of an off year because you look at the rest of his numbers throughout his career in terms of putting, they've been pretty good. So I would say right now, to me, it's the, it's the driver that, does, that feels like a little bit of a hole. I, uh, if, if I might add to that, there's no player, I, and I may, I've made the mistake too, saying, well, he's got no holes in his game, or in, talking about anyone, everyone in the world's game has a hole in their game uh, but where you can see where they're just a great player and they play around deficiencies is when things aren't good like justin thomas was he, he wasn't at his best but everyone could see that from a mile away but he found his way around the deficiencies and there was really one iron shot that caught him out there was one bad decision on the par three you guys were talking about i thought there was just silliness between he and jimmy not to go with a longer club put three on the card because i've never seen a bad three anywhere okay and then then the the medium iron on the par five that, that was substandard for him, but yes, a guy who nearly won an event around a tight golf course with not his best stuff. So so no one really has the complete game. Everyone's got an Achilles heel, if you will. But what the greats do, 
and Justin Thomas showed that, and John Rahm showed that, and Tiger Woods showed it a lot, and all these sorts of guys, they find a way to still put the number on the card. So it's not like you can say to them, well, he's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and he's going to do this. It might not be the case. But at the end of the day, the number at the bottom right-hand block of the scorecard is something that's keeping them in the game. So when Sunday afternoon rolls around, they have a shot to win the tournament. That, that's the way I tend to want to look at it. I, I think, Greg, and I want to I get one last crack at this because I think we were talking about this. I think we've talked about this a couple of times with the mics off right is yep. is is to me and i don't know how to describe this i don't know of a stat that we can look at it but like jt to me is the best driver of the ball who gets really really loose at times like he doesn't just miss fairways when he misses he he gives us a great one of these right he gives us something real special and i don't know how to <laughs> quantify that and sometimes it rears its ugly head at the wrong time. So I, I don't know what it means. I don't know how to quantify it, but I, I think you're onto something that like when it's off, it's really off. Yeah. It, it's something I, I think he's got a, well, you know, it, there's a couple different ways you can look at this uh, from a coach's perspective. I look at JT's game and I think there's a, there's a right miss that is, it, it exists off the tee. He's missed left off the tee, too, and he's feared left, as he did today. But he his miss is to the right in general, way more often than it is to the left. And he gets on the putting green. And just, just take a look at, through time, and especially this season, how often he misses putts to the right. And it doesn't mean that they're all bad putts. It's just there's, there's a very consistent pattern where JT, when he misses, he misses to the right. And, and I'm not trying to come down hard on him because he misses to the everybody's going to miss somewhere. He just misses consistently right. And I'd love to hear Mark's thoughts on this. Is that better? Is it better to have a miss that is maybe maybe it's really big sometimes, but it's consistent throughout the bag? You know, I mean, as a coach, you know that your player tends to miss right, and and you can manage that. You don't have to necessarily go and overhaul anything. Because there's a there's a one way miss, and he very rarely misses. Left. He misses all throughout the bag. When he misses, it's to the right. And I mean, maybe maybe that's a good thing. But it just when it's under pressure and he misses, it's to the right. And you say, oh well, here we go again. JT missing right again. Yeah, you're right about the one way miss. Every great player strives for that because you can manage that a little easier. But there's certain holes that the one way miss to the right just doesn't work. Like we saw that on 16 to power five, and then you've got to get up there and hit a shot. And and if you talk about, you know, great players that were suspect drivers of the golf ball, hell, I'd make an argument that Tiger Woods probably can wear the crown for that stuff, but look at the career he's amassed. Because again, it's about playing around the deficiency. And JT on the one par five that he he made an unreal five in the end. He went to that little fairway finder of his way, goes down the driver and tries to hit the sliding fade and he missed it to the right. That's just going to happen at times. But, but, but I don't think you can chalk up everything to one miss, but I'll tell you this from my experiences when I've covered him, he, I think he drives the ball. Great. I really do. Because I've, I've, when you're standing there in play and you sort of get a sense and you're watching the player play, he hits He's creative. He hits the ball on different trajectories. He moves it in both directions. He'll go to the fade when he's under pressure. But, but I, I, again, I think Justin Thomas has all of the tools. He just didn't have his best stuff this week. Wait, he has all the tools, but what? But he ha- also has holes? Doesn't well, having all the tools mean he, has, mean he doesn't have a hole? 
No, no, he's, he's got all of the tools, but everyone has a slight deficiency and you're not going to be perfect all of the time. You see that, that to me is the beauty about golf is this, the, it's the ultimate game of recovery and it's the uh, golf. You can have the perfect, your swing completely dialed in, hitting the ball in the number and then you get a gust of wind like we've seen Paul Goitas at the players or whatever and dunk one in the water and then lose. You know, that sort of stuff happens. That's the game that we play. So I don't think we can box players into situations too much. I would say if you're just looking at players, Justin Thomas is by far and away one of the best in the world right now. But that doesn't mean he's complete. No one's complete. We're going to talk about someone whose game is not complete at the moment. We're going to look ahead a bit to the Masters, and then we're going to go through our odds and ends, recap our matchup and one and done information. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods played four rounds of golf the Zozo Championship as the defending champion in one under for the week in a finished in a tie for 72nd. Kyle, we'll start with you. Um, I don't know. What'd you think of Tiger this week? By the way, I like how we just spent 10 minutes talking about what's wrong with the number three player in the world who, win, who wins yeah. 8% of the tournaments that he plays in. This is the hard-hitting <laughs> analysis. You only get this here. That, that is my, that's my point. That's the, that, that is golf to me. Good Don't golf. you think that's because of the guy we're supposed to be talking about right now? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, Tiger is... Here, here's So I wrote about this coming into the week. I wrote that Tiger is going to compete, contend or win again at some point when we don't expect it because every time that his body allows him to, that he's healthy th- for the last 25 years, he's, he's done that. And we don't know when his body's going to be healthy, but if and when it is, then he's going to contend and, and p- possibly win which I think is what makes this week a little bit problematic is that he seemed pretty healthy and he played terribly. I mean, he, he was just lousy throughout. I mean, every category, I, I mean, he would, I, I'm sure he did say the same thing in his, in his, you know, post tournament breakdown or, or uh, interview press conference, whatever. Um, I just don't know how much confidence it engenders for Augusta national. Um, Cause you know, even last year when he wins, at Augusta, he, he, he didn't, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't putting up finishes necessarily going in, but he was, he was, he was hitting all his clubs. Well, he was really sharp from Tita green. And this year he's just, he's not sharp at all. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's injury stuff there. Who knows? But it felt a little problematic because it didn't seem like there was any injury stuff and he still played really bad. Okay, so let's mine into this week then. So off the tee, he lost three and a half strokes. On approach, he lost nearly four and a half, and he lost another three putting. So Mark, like, what's the most concerning part about this? We know he's we know he talks about how much time he can get practicing with the flat stick, and that's why he might use a longer putter or when he practices. Uh, this is the first time we've seen his iron game be pretty poor this calendar year. I mean, what what are our takeaways? What are our concerns about the state of his game at the moment? He has to play tournament golf if he wants to be a factor. You are, sorry, with respect to Tiger Woods, because this guy can do anything. Let me preface my argument. (laughs) But going and spending time at home on the range, on a launch monitor, this is not doing it. Playing 
golf, you, you get into a rhythm for the round and that rhythm is not fluid. It's not a flow. It's sort of up and down. And when it's up, you take advantage. When it's down, you save a little bit and you keep yourself alive. When you feel the golf swings a little off, you create shots. When you feel like the golf swings on, you go ahead and attack shots. There's this, this, this ebb and flow a little bit that you go through during tournament rounds. And when you stay in there on a range or playing at your home course, that doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden when you get an early tee time and the weather changes on you and you weren't pre- prepared for that, that's part of tournament golf. And so I, I think he needs to play. He needs to play in competition. And I firmly believe after watching this week, because I figured, look, if there was going to be a week that he was going to come through, it would be here. Um, it was a easyish golf course, kind of short. You can get by the driver a little bit. The, the rough was more punitive than what it normally was, but still the golf course was there to be had. But I mean, the, he spotted the winner, twenty-three. So he's going to have to. He's going to have to play in some Houston somewhere before the Masters, just to get a little mojo going. Because th- this, this is this is not. I can. Well, my iron game wasn't there. I can go and work on it. My driver wasn't there. This is playing golf, and, and playing golf you can't really quantify, but it's different to practice. So let's let's continue down this path then because he's alluded, he's teased it, Greg. He's given us a little nugget that he might decide to play Houston. I see you shaking your head. I as well will I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not so sure. I agree with Mark that I think more reps is what he needs. Tournament reps, things you can't replicate off the PGA Tour. But I would be pretty shocked to see him in Houston. So that's part one. And then 25 to one to win the Masters. Um, I, I mean, I'm happy to reverse jinx this. That is unbettable. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree on that. And I'm not shaking my head by any means to what Mark is saying, because I completely agree. But there are just a couple of challenges here. He's on, he's on, this is like a rooftop where you go either, either way you go, it's a downhill slope. If he plays more and his body is, his body isn't able to handle it and it doesn't hold up. Well, that's not going to yield great results yet. If he doesn't play, there's clearly, we see a rusty tiger. Now let's talk about the Houston open. This is the most interesting event Um, And one of the more interesting decisions, not just for Tiger, but any top player, um, especially Tiger, because we're going to have spectators. It'll be the second event with spectators. Many of the top players are not going to Bermuda. And Bermuda also being a separate country, they have very um, strict testing protocols. Bermuda relies heavily, their economy relies heavily on tourism. So they have, you get tested before you go through customs. You get tested two days after. They are very, very on top of the testing procedures. Now you go to Houston and you're Tiger Woods and let's say there's 2,000 people on property. It's not like there's going to be whatever the the average is. They're not going to be spread out over 18 (laughs) holes. They're going to be following Tiger Woods. And, you, and 30 have, people are going to follow just Tiger's group. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to follow a Tiger's group. And once they're out there, I mean, how do you police it? And Tiger said this in a press conference earlier this year. People, t- people try to touch him, right? It's, this is Tiger Woods. He's like a, a person. He's, he's not a real person almost. And you want to just get close to the guy. And so it, it's a very unique circumstance where it almost, it doesn't matter about performance. It's not about the preparation. It's about, are you going to be present at the masters? And I think every player um, has to answer that question. Is it worth the risk? Now, 
that being said, the tour has done a fantastic job at every step. They've answered every question. They've uh, limited outbreaks in a, in a world where um, there's been outbreaks everywhere. And they have, their protocols have led the way in sport. But it's just, it's a curious time for me to have spectators back. And if you're, especially if you're a Tiger Woods, if you're a Dustin Johnson, if you are a top of the line and you think you're a contender at the Masters, it's a, it's something that really needs to be considered. So I don't disagree with you guys about getting reps. I think that's generally really important, but I keep going back to him winning the Zozo last year after he hadn't played in, what was it? Three months, two months, whatever it was, he had taken time off. He had had knee surgery and he just goes out and just lights up this field. That was, I mean, it was like the field we saw this week. It was really good. And I, I just, I don't know what to do with that part of it. And, and that scenario is unique to Tiger because I think for everybody else, the reps matter more than the rest. But for him, I, or I guess maybe Bryson too, being in the lab, I, I don't know. I don't know that the reps do matter more. I don't disagree with the concept. I just feel like he's so special and unique, especially at a place like Augusta where he's so smart that he doesn't necessarily need that extra work. Uh, okay. Yeah. Good point there. Uh, but just, just quickly, a couple things were, cause I was on the grounds when he played the events, when we returned from the lockdown and between marshals and media folks, journalists, there were probably three or 400 guys walking along with tiger anyway. So, so, so it's not like when we go out there with no fans that there's no one on the grounds and um, with 2000 scale, even with 2000 fans, it'll seem pretty empty. And I'm sure the whole thing will be very well policed if indeed Tiger does play at, uh, at Houston because there's security everywhere. And it's not like he's fist bumping all in sundry wherever he goes. You know, he's, he's pretty circumspect with that sort of stuff. But Carl, last year, Zozo was, I, that was an outlier for me. Even in the Tiger Woods vein, that was a complete outlier. How a guy can just switch it on and, and, and all of a sudden show. Now, when he was at the height of his career, he could do that sort of thing. But he's in the twilight of his career right now. And, and so when you're in the twilight of your career, your, your body doesn't respond as much as what you used to. And all of a sudden you catch it on a good day, then everything's fine. But, but it's over four rounds and it's the ability to survive four rounds, I think is a big deal. I mean, if he played four days like he did in the second round, it's a, we're not having this conversation. But again, it's, it's part of the like, I'm in and out of golf. I, it's rest. It's early tea times. It's all that sort of stuff that you've got to get used to again. And Japan, Japan to me was a bit of an outlier. Yeah, I, I, I think that's where I land also. I think that's a fair point. Uh, the, the counter to that would be at the 15 Masters when he didn't play for three months, he still finished top 20. I think, I think Augustus just, he, again, he's just so smart there that it almost doesn't matter. Um, Do we you care? know, sort of. Do we, do we do care? It. Do we care about a top twenty at the uh, at Augusta National for Tiger Woods? No, but the the point the point being that he played well after or he played decently after three months off. So I, I just I don't know. I, I think there's some interesting stuff there with him and Augusta and how wise he is that the reps aren't as important as they would be for a Rory or you know DJ or whoever. 
Let's take a little temperature check for Augusta National. I mentioned already Tiger Woods 25 to 1. Bryson DeChambeau still, of course, your favorite, 8.5 to 1. John Rahman, Justin Thomas right behind at 10 and 11 to 1, respectively. Rory McElroy also 11 to 1. Uh, Greg, we'll start with you. Obviously, there'll be plenty of preview stuff that we'll do uh, leading up to the Masters. But if you're looking at this board right now, does a Patrick Cantlay, who's now 25 to 1, are you, are you a little bit more interested in that? Is there anybody else that we should be eyeing as we are now, what, two and a half weeks away? Uh, absolutely. Um, the, the guy to me is still Xander Shoffley. Um, I mean, you got to be looking at him as a, as, as a, a, a big timer here this week. I mean, tied 17th this week, which I thought was a great, a better performance than I expected out of him because he's, if you look at the, the trends when he's had really close uh, narrow defeats, the next week has been a little bit of a, of a letdown, a little bit of an exhale, but then basically with the exception of two events, his entire 2020 year has been extremely steady, which is, is remarkable. And he steps up his game elevates in bigger tournaments. The bigger the tournament, the better he plays. And so I, I think he is kind of your um, your lock contender. Now, I think you, you can't forget about Dustin Johnson either. He, he, he The one thing about him is we haven't really seen a lot of reps out of him, um, which is not his – it has nothing to do with him. It's just he tested positive for COVID. So what can you do? But I think he's still a guy that you can't forget about because his record at Augusta is very good too. Um, those would be the two guys I'm, I'm looking at right now as big-time favorites. I think we can agree that Augusta National, probably more than any other course, Mark, I think course history matters, right? We hear it all, all the time. First-timers don't win here. You got to learn the greens year, year after year. Well, I've got a guy who's 30-1, to 1, who's put on the green jacket twice, who's been phenomenal from tee to green over the last couple of weeks. His name is Bubba Watson. What do you think? I think that's a good take. I, I really do, because the thing about Augusta National, aside from Tiger, it, it pretty well lacks a defensive type putter. You know, a person that looks at a wide line and sort of drips balls around the hole like a Crenshaw. You think of those sorts of guys. You don't see the people that are ramming the balls into the back of the cup. Um, so, so from that point of view, it's playing right into Bubba's alley because he can take th – that's the sort of game that he sees. So I, I think Bubba right now is a heck of a take. Um, I'm on board with, uh, with what Greg said about Xander. Um, I, I think John Rahm is legit. But, but I, I'm not going to sleep on Rory. The dude made nine birdies in the final round today. He made 29 in four. Yes. Okay. Yes. This is insanity. And you see, the way I look at the game, if an individual's not making birdies like a woods, then I have some margin for concern. But if someone's making birdies, it's just ironing out the odd bogey and such. And all of a sudden you're on a winning wicket. So, so, so I, I, I don't really know where I stand, but I'm not going to sleep on McElroy. That's for certain. I think that's certainly fair. That's the most birdies Rory has made in a single event on the PGA tour. Kyle, we've covered uh, Xander. We've covered Rory. We've covered Bubba. Now tell me how many shots that Bryson wins by. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say Rom's gonna win by five. I also said Rom would win at Wingfoot, so don't don't listen to me ever. Uh, win how many times in the century? <laughs> well, the century. I mean, we're <laughs> it, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. 
that might be a difference. I mean, Bryson's going to live to be 130, so who knows how many over the next century. You think Bryson's uh, club head speed will match his age at any point? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that's that's top-notch content right there. Uh, Rom's going to win. Uh, what about Cantlay? We haven't mentioned him yet. He's been really good. He fit, you know, I mean, he had the lead late last year before Tiger. I think he was, I don't know, four or five groups in front of Tiger at the end. Uh, he finished T9. Him and Rom actually both finished T9 last year. Rom's got two top tens over his last two Masters. Uh, you know, it, it's, I don't know, the Bryson thing is going to be, it's almost more fascinating that he's not playing right now. Uh, leading into the event, it's almost like, what is he like? Is he going to show up weighing 300 pounds? Is he going to have like, is he going to bring like a nuclear weapon to the first tee on Thursday? Like, what what's going to happen with all this stuff? Um, so yeah, Rom, Bryson, Cantlay are three three intriguing names, and I, I agree with the Bubba stuff as well. Well, a uh, little, just a tiny spoiler. We've got some Masters content brewing over the course of the next couple of weeks, so maybe we'll deep dive on a, a Bryson at some point. But, gentlemen, it is time to talk odds and ends. Matchups. Uh, Kyle, you and I are going to tie this week. We both were 3-1. and one. Oh, I, I didn't read the rest of that line, but you win on the tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, Let's see. Let's see what you got right here. So you had uh, the ones you got wrong were what Xander? What? Why? I don't know why this is Xander. Xander and Rory tied. I think. <laughs> oh, they tied. There were two pushes. Two pushes. The only one he last he lost on was Hatton. Oh, Terrell Hatton. I figured out how I said it. H- Hatton. No, no, Hatton with yeah. the T's. Yeah, I figured yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, congratulations. And KP, you actually also uh, went out on a bit of a limb, I thought. You took Russell Henley in your one and done, and you earned more out of anybody 315,000 bones. Congrats. I was more locked into Russell Henley's final two rounds than I was Rom, JT, Cantlay, anybody. I was just – every they showed him like twice on the weekend, and each time I was, you know, freaking out. I don't know why I picked him, but uh, – yeah, I, look, I start off hot. You can you can count on the the late fade from me next at the end of next season, so or at the end of this season. You are currently in the lead, one point six three million. I'm in second, one point four million. Mark, you took Xander Shoffley this week. He earned you ninety five thousand. Now I actually think uh, the the seven under round, the sixty five he shot on Sunday, gained you about ninety thousand of that. So that was a pretty good Sunday, considering what what he was looking at coming into the day. Yeah, he was styling in round one a little bit and made a horrid eight. It wasn't a par five. And then there was a big number in the second round as well. But like I'd mentioned to you guys, when, when they're cut free events, I'm going to try and go with guys that, you know, are blue chip folks. And so it, it, it wasn't the best outings, but it was a big day. Just like Carl was watching Henley. I was watching Xander on my favorites on the PGA Tour website to see how he was coming along. Uh, and Greg, you and Jacob uh, had Joaquin Neiman also in that tie for 17th with Xander Shoffley, $95,858. How do you sweat these guys? Is it you just click the favorite on uh, on the PGA Tour leaderboard? That's how you keep track? Uh, yeah, of course. Well, I also <laughs> learned you can change the color on your leaderboard. Oh, yeah. But, but you, you got to scroll for that a little bit. You favored them and then they're right there. So that's how I sweat them. But look, with the Joaquin Neiman um, in, in the tied 17th finish, that's... 
that's not a terrible take from him. Like, so I, I still feel pretty good getting, uh, getting a T17 out of, out of Joaquin. So there's, a, there's a long way to go. I think we're all still in the mix, which is going to be, um, very interesting with, uh, the remainder of the super season upcoming, but I'll say this about Henley boy. Um, what an impressive performance there. And I didn't expect that. Now it's like four or five weeks in a row. He's just been on fire and the iron game is not letting up. I thought last week was a peak and you were going to see a little bit of a downfall from him and he proved me wrong. So kudos to you, Kyle. That's a, that's a great pick. Thank you. Here are the standings. So Kyle 1.6, Rick 1.4, Mark 1.1, Greg 1 million, Jacob 525,000, buddy. We're going to have to get you back up above the million mark. Only like 42 events to go. So I think he'll, he'll make up some rule to get himself back into it. I'm all for changing the rules in like the final two weeks. (laughs) I'm all about it. Uh, All right, gentlemen, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, We are going to be back, of course, next week for the Bermuda championship. We'll do the preview content but might forego the round-by-round stuff for some uh, early Masters content. Producer Jacob might make the call on that, so uh, stay tuned. We'll obviously tweet out everything. Let me thank Greg Ducharme, who you can find on Twitter at TheRealGFD. Let me thank Mark Immelman, who you can find at Mark underscore Immelman. Let me thank Kyle Porter, who you can find at Kyle Porter CBS. You can follow me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time.